Hello, and welcome to Frock Flicks, the historical costume movie and TV podcast. I'm your host, Kendra Van Cleave, and I'm here with one half of our original Broadway recording cast. Hi, Sarah Lorraine. And we are here costume recapping the 11th episode of Outlander called Vengeance is Mine. Uh, The only reason I can say that is because the title is still up on my TV because I literally just finished watching it. So this is episode 11 of season two. And shit happened. And uh, hooray, it was more costumey than some of the last couple of episodes, which again, by costumey, I guess I mean shiny, right? I'm not a total asshole. Yes, lower class woolly costumes are fabulous as they should be. But, you know, something else to talk about. Yeah, you know, there is a there is a quite like I think vocal minority of people who really love the the quote unquote lower class stuff, the wool, the linen, the basic, you know, what everyday people rolling around in the dirt would be wearing, I guess. I, for one, don't understand it, (laughs) but I get where it's coming from and I respect that. So this was, this whole thing, if you're into that, go you. I like it. I mean, I find it, I like it. It's just, it's harder to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also harder for me to get excited about it. It's so, it's one of those things that, yeah, I admit, you know, I'm, you stick something like shiny in front of my face, whether it's good or bad, I'm going to basically pay attention to it more than something that's kind of just like nice drab wool colors. And yeah. Right. Because we're really minor birds. Yep. So let's talk about the episode. I loved the opening shot, of course, with the wig power. Yes. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, yay, Kendra's going to love this. And also foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the foreshadowing was a little thick on that one, but it still made me happy because they had the wig on the little stand that it would sit on, and they were powdering it with the little hand bellows. So they had these little bellows, think of like a, you know, that you would use on a fireplace, but they were small and fit in your hand, and they would put powder in it, and that would blow powder. And then they had the puff, which you would use for sort of to sort of touch things up and finalize things. But I personally would fire that valet for knocking my wig over. Um, Come on, like it hasn't happened to you. Oh, of course. all the damn time. <laughs> of course. That's, that's why you get a table clamp. But even still. <laughs> yeah, but did they have those in the 18th century? <laughs> I don't know. They must have. The professionals must have. Right. They had to have something. But, yeah. No, the wigs are always so good in the show. It was neat to see one off, uh, you know, off ahead and kind of being styled. I like that. Yeah. Although jumping ahead then, that, I mean, that's the style of wig that the Duke, you know, had been wearing pretty much up till now. But then he doesn't actually wear that style in the episode. And mm-hmm. I thought that the style he was wearing seemed very 1780s based on sort of mm-hmm. how um, sort of far back the sort of short poofy part went. It went really back to like horizontal with his ears, mm-hmm. um, which seemed a little fashion forward. But whatever, I'll let it slide because other than that, it was lovely. And yeah. again, the powdering scene made me so happy. Yeah. So I give the I give their hairstyling department a lot of cred because they come up with some really awesome wigs that look fabulous. I mean, and that's the problem, you know, with like HD is that you can see all of the the crappiest parts of costumes and wigs and historical movies. And I think this is a really good example of how I think people are starting to realize that you need to design you know, for up close now, it's no longer at a distance and it's no longer with like this kind of fuzzy interface of, of analog, you know, now that you've got HD, it's, it's crystal clear. You can see a pimple on everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
And it's actually interesting. I mean, I bet it's really changed things Mm -hmm. over the last, I don't know, I guess five years or so for costume designers and I'm sure for hair and makeup people as well and set design and all those kinds of things because now we can see all those things so uh, clearly. The flip side is, of course, digital techniques have gotten so good that now, you know, they go in and retouch all sorts of Fix it in post. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, just an interesting observation. Much, much like this podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. We, I, we don't edit too much, but I try to edit out if we sound like total idiots. Um, anyway, so then we switch to Bonnie Prince Charlie arguing with the generals again. and um, Same costumes uh, as last episode. Basically, yes. Uh, Charlie was wearing... Um, a different frock coat and uh, and waistcoat, but he still had the same kilt. So, yeah, and he looked a little bit more, a little less cartoony version, uh, and again, a historically accurate cartoony version. But mm-hmm. because he was wearing, you know, a solid, you know, quote unquote modern to that era waistcoat and um, and coat with his kilt, he wasn't going into plaid overdrive. And once again, I thought the generals looked good. Um, but it's not like they were doing anything different from previous episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And of course I was having the internal debate of, wait, why is Jamie arguing so heavily for taking London? But of course, then he says after to Claire, you know, if we, if we could have, then that would have shown that there was a possibility of, of changing the past. And obviously, I mean, the Jacobite, you know, the actual literal rebellion had a lot of problems, but, you know, one of them, as they said, was that the English and the lowland Scots didn't rise up and join in. That always, it's like, God, though, you go back through history and you look at every single, you know, rising, and other than maybe uh, Mary the First, Mary Tudor, it's always like, but the people will rise up, and the people never fucking yeah. rise up. So. It, it, yeah, people are like, eh, it's max of effort, you know, oh. it, it's, yeah. it's got to get really bad. I mean, like, the only time I can think, actually, the only time I really can think of an actual uprising is the French Revolution. I mean, that's where the people really did rise up and were like, no, fuck you, we're taking this country and we're making a democracy and doing away with everything. And then, of course, that didn't happen. But you did see this large, you know, large scale sort of um, kind of like Arab Spring, I guess, if we want to anal- have an analysis, an analog to that. But the difference with Arab Spring is it just kind of fizzled. And with the, yeah, the French Revolution, of course, it didn't, um, went on. So, yeah. But yeah, that doesn't happen all the time. So. Yeah. Anyway, word to the wise. If you think they're all going to rise up in favor of you, they're not going to. Yeah, um, very rarely. And Claire got to do her dentistry. Okay. And actually, this was a really good episode, and I was very entertained. Mm-hmm. But now that we're talking, I'm pissed off because – they set up the whole scene. They have their own bedroom. Jamie, oh, God, yes. <laughs> Jamie's praying over her with his shirt off. Can we get some shagging in this show? Jesus Christ. I still feel like we were we were sold a bill of goods. The first season, it was like all the time, or it felt like all the time. There was a good, good amount of sexual tension, then there was a lot of good shagging, and then now the second season, it's been more blood and guts and talking heads and strategy and shit, which is great storytelling, but really not fun to watch when you're the eye candy. (laughs) The story does not compare to the, the the requirement of shagging. Rather you leaned more towards the shagging side than the storytelling side because we are dirty old women. 
Yes, and and yeah, exactly. Play to your audience. I mean, I know we're not the only ones. So oh, yeah. they're like, let's see Jamie naked. Come on, this is what I signed up for. I want to see the man naked. Totally. But, uh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, so you've read the books. So is there more sex in the books? <laughs> My memory is yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I think, of course, they're having to do the. I guess you know, there's a lot that happens in this book, and therefore in this season. And I'm sure there's also like a tone issue, you know, you don't want to derail, you know, impending doom and drama. I can imagine that that that's a consideration when they're talking about, should we stick a sex scene in here? But you know, come on writers, I know you have a big whiteboard, just want you to write up there. If the question comes up, should we stick a sex scene in here? The answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So then, then they all, then the generals have all decided to retreat back to Scotland, uh, which is no good. Um, and so we do that. And then they have the whole running into the Redcoats thing. And, um, and I know, I know absolutely nothing about military strategy, but my thought is, wait, why are all of the important higher ups, meaning Jamie and Dougal and everyone, ditching all the rest of the yeah, soldiers. Yeah, they're all like, peace out, fuckers. <laughs> We're going to the crossroads. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck with that, exactly. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there was a kind of a hint at that, um, the reasoning behind it, where they tell, um, maybe I'm confusing, uh, the letter that, that Jamie gets initially saying that he's to return to Inverness, um, ahead of the troops, and then when the ambush happens, it's there. I swear to God, there was some sort of explanation of like, okay, just, you know, the, the important people run right now because that's who they're after. And so they would, the Redcoats would chase the, you know, Jamie at all. And then the other guys would scatter. Oh, I didn't get that because. Yeah, actually, I didn't get it until I just started explaining it to you because it really was not actually <laughs> very very clearly described in that chaotic scene um, down by the river. And so, yeah, it makes sense now that I'm actually articulating it, but I think that was exactly what it was is that they were trying to divert um, the redcoats away from the, the bulk of the people, letting them scatter while the redcoats chase the, the good guys. Right. Um, okay. Well, I, I like that. That's a much better uh, explanation than just, yeah, good luck with that. We're out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> We've got the horses, so, you know, hope that works out for you. Yes, sucker. Yep. So then they end up at the church, and there's all of that, and Dougal walks around in his manly, and I think about rubbing his head, and then the... Running your fingers through his beard? <laughs> no, I want to stroke his, his smooth, smooth cranium. <laughs> yes! I love that you have so much love for this guy. I do, I do, I do. Yeah. Uh, and Rupert gets shot and blah, blah, blah. And the Brits show up and Claire once again plays the I'm British card or I'm English. And, uh, once again, uses that to get away, um, to her advantage. Um, and then we end up at the Duke of Sandringham's house and the costumes get more interesting. Yeah. Briefly get more interesting because, uh, um, Mary, little Mary shows up as the, Duke's uh, goddaughter. He's, she's revealed to be his goddaughter. Um, and she has a nice little dress in the very first scene that you see her in. She's got a little, um, it's like a pet and lair or a, a caracat or something like that um, over a, like a little jacket over a petticoat um, made from the same material. 
And you don't see it for very long though, because then it gets to be nightfall. So she's in her nightdress or her, you know, basically a shift, a long shift. It's like pulled up to her neck, you know? So just to be all understand that she is very neurotic and quite young. <laughs> and extra demure. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But she gets her own. So that's good. Yes. Sure. Yeah, yeah, she has some agency in this. I like that. You know, there's. I think that they're trying to set that up as a contrast. Obviously, you know, all this time she's been this extra demure flower, and now she's turned the corner because, of course, it's the second she picked up the knife, you know, you knew what she was going to do with that. Right. Um, uh, I think it was more surprising than when I read it. Anyway, um, I noticed that the Duke was wearing the same waistcoat that he wore when they were horse shopping at Versailles, and I only noticed because it keeps reminding me of the Outlander or the Outlander, the Scalamandra. <laughs> uh, I don't know why those two things got, yeah, whatever. Anyway, the strawberry fabric. It's not, it's just a silk lazare. It's similar it's, anyway, but it's the same uh, waistcoat. We'll have a screen cap of that up. And he's wearing his very froofy, high powdery, uh, you know, 1780, more 1780s-y wig. Um, but there was him. And then he has the valet who had his nice little suit on and all of that. Evil valet. Evil valet Denton with his port yeah. wine stain on his hand. So, and, and then Mary in her, her little jacket and stuff, which I thought was nice. And I liked the, the ruche trim on the stomacher and, and on the front edges. And it fit her nicely and, and suited her character and all of that. Yeah. So that was about the one shiny costume. <laughs> yes. And then the Duke of Sandringham was wearing a dressing gown, yes. a Banyan style dressing gown, which is a loose uh, Asian inspired dressing gown when uh, he and Claire, when he finds Claire or he's in the kitchen and she's trying to sneak out. I thought it was interesting. And I feel like, did they get into this at all in season one? They must have, because it's more of a theme in the book that the Duke is gay and has the hots for Jamie. Ish. Ish. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't really, I, there was all, there's all these hints that were kind of dropped, but they, you know, was he just being a feat or was he actually being like, Hey, I'm gay and I'm into you. So yeah. there was, it was pretty vague. In the book, it's much more obvious. And so that to me made sense why when Jamie turned up, he grabs for his wig and puts his wig on. Um, oh, yeah, right. I guess he's trying to look good in front of Jamie. Right. Now, see, that's, it's so funny to me that it's, there's a lot of, what the fandom community calls ho yay in this where it's <laughs> there's the the character um the main character and then all of the other characters of the same sex are all attracted to that character whether or not anything becomes it you know becomes anything but it's kind of like a fan service sort of a thing to you know it's it does appeal to people like me who do like that stuff but it also gets to a point where you're like come on, really? You know, everybody's attracted to this guy. Like every guy that he comes across wants to hump him. I don't know. I mean, like I know all the women do, but even then it's not played up as much. It's like there's, there's a uh, Galus and then Claire and that's about it. You know, the only two people that are really kind of vying females that are vying for, for Jamie's attention where it's like, not, Oh, not Galus, Lahiri. yeah. Leary and, and, uh, and Claire. But everyone else is, uh, you know, all the other men are all like, hey there, sailor. And I'm kind of reaching my limit with the, the little fan service there. <laughs> I do think that's such a typical trope, though, in fiction. Yeah, it is. You know, you have your, me your main characters are just gorgeous. One thing, you know, that I, I love, uh, now that we've been told multiple times on the blog, I love Katrina Balfe. I think yes. she's lovely. 
She's a talented actress and I think she's beautiful and I actually think she's really well cast in that she's gorgeous and, and very elegant and all of that, but she's not like, I don't know, she's not like porn star or like supermodel, you know, yeah. she's more. Well, she was a supermodel. She was a model, um, you know, supermodel, model, whatever, but she did model for um, runway modeling for major labels, I think in like the mid nineties. She's, she's roughly our age, my age. I think she's closer to my age, um, late thirties. And uh, so, yeah, like in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, I think she was doing a lot of runway work. But anyway, she's she is absolutely gorgeous. And uh, but yeah, and, and not in a, you know, kind of the, the sort of way that we get sold beautiful women in in our society. Um, she sort of doesn't fit that mold. Um, yeah, while still being exactly. gorgeous. Yeah. In the books, though, it feels like Claire is much more of a average looking person i mean on the nice side of average but not like a stunner um it's just just interesting because jamie is definitely this hunk of hunk of burning love um Mm -hmm. and it's it's just it's always interesting to me where you know the your lead characters are conveniently stunningly beautiful and watching everyone sort of react to them and like that's a dynamic with her and the duke of sandringham because he's not into her he's into her husband etc etc i don't know i am a little bummed at the end of Simon Callow uh, I, as Sandringham. I heard because, because, man, he can chew the scenery with the best of him. Beautifully cast in, I mean, he is great as this mwahaha, you know, character, but who's also, uh, you know, flamboyant and, and all these things. Yeah, I like Simon Cowell. I am sad to see him go. I don't know if I have anything else to talk about. <laughs> uh let's see well the the final scene i mean can we tie this into like game of thrones apparently there was this great like fight scene in game of thrones the last second to last episode that they aired the other night and the point is that you get this very nice um kind of satisfying denouement (laughs) this little tie up of the duke of sandringham and all of his like asshole behavior and then also how it comes out that he was the one who and this was actually this was a weird plot point that i wasn't really clear on was that um, he was responsible for Mary's rape, you know, several, several episodes back. Um, and in order to uh, pay off the Count, uh, Comte de Saint-Germain for a debt of some form or another, and the Comte de Saint-Germain wanted to kill or wanted to have Claire killed, but he worked it out somehow that it involved raping Mary. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's yeah, weird. I- I was confused about that too, because yeah, how maybe I, I, I'm hoping that maybe there'll be some like further information that will come out in the next episode or something. Um, because you, why, I mean, obviously he doesn't give a shit about his goddaughter other than as a pawn, but still, yeah, that confused me. Maybe unless the only thing I can think is if like the attackers got confused and raped Mary instead of Claire or, that might be what it is because it just it just doesn't make any sense that he would have his goddaughter raped when when Claire was the target like that was apparently what what information we were given anyway was that anyhow that was that was weird to me but it was super satisfying that when Mary realizes uh, that the valet is her rapist and she grabs the knife and she stabs him in the gut and she's just like you know she doesn't 
she doesn't like really make any sort of big scene about it, but it's very British, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> just get it, you know, do the do the dirty business, and then we'll just forget that all of this happened. <laughs> Although I think really- I do think hopefully, and you know, I'm I'm fuzzy because it's been so long since I've read this book. I get the sense her character is now going to turn a corner and take some agency for her life, which, well, she's going to have to because she's not going to have a godparent or anyone looking out for her. Um, but yeah, although the one thing I was kind of hoping she was going to be the one who st- stabbed the Duke of Sandringham, but then Murtaugh got, got his axe and woo. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty graphic. Um, so spoilers for people, not spoiler alert, but just a, a general PSA for people who are sensitive about decapitation. <laughs> it was a pretty graphic decapitation scene. Yeah. Um, but it was good. It was it was nice because Murtaugh made that vow to Claire um, that he would he would lay her vengeance at her feet, I think is what he said, and plops her head plops the Duke of Sandringham's head down at her feet <laughs> right there. And, he took that very literally and yes, that was satisfying. Yeah. Um, of course, it's only going to, I think, further complicate their life in the long run. But, you know, hey. Yeah. And that's the thing that irritates me. I mean, I know why you, you don't have a story unless you have these complications that things that turn into bigger things. Otherwise, you know, why the fuck are you even writing or telling or filming anything for entertainment value? But and it does get exhausting because and especially this is kind of true with Outlander. It just seems like one thing after another. Nobody gets a break. Like you just they just don't. And I don't know if that's, you know, maybe back in the 18th century, people just didn't get breaks, but it seems like major things. <laughs> so, you know, pissed off the, the Comte de Saint Germain without even trying, pissed off Bonnie Prince, Charlie, pissed off the Lairds, pissed off, you know, like, and then the Duke of Sandringham gets all involved and then there's Captain Jack and he's the one who's going to like, you know, hunt them all down. It just all those layers of like, come on. Doesn't anybody oh, just have, an average suburban life where they you know, <laughs> grow, grow potatoes, have a few kids, one of yeah. them dies, you know, but it's, you know, whatever. It's yet another kid and, you know. Maybe they could sacrifice one of those, like, story arcs for more sex. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yes, I support that entirely. Make love, not war. That See, that's we're just pacifists at heart. <laughs> that's our motivation. Yeah, we don't we're not really, dirty old women. No, we don't really want to see Sam Hagen naked and, yeah, throbbing. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No throbbing, please. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that's all I've got for this episode. Um, and sorry, people, that we're not super in-depth in, in all of these costumes. Um uh, again, it was nice to see some shiny sprinkled throughout and, you know, good story arc and all of that. And clearly, you know, the story is plummeting towards Culloden and uh, we'll see what happens next. Right. Stay tuned. Exactly. So check out our screen cap uh, recap where we'll get some more in depth into uh, the costumes on our blog at frockflix.com and make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Frockflix, and we will see you next week with another costume and story recap of Outlander. And until then, bye!